0: Hey everybody, welcome back once again to the Blister Podcast. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check us out online at blisterreview.com. Today we're talking to Luke Jacobson, the new CEO of Moment Skis. Luke has been at Moment for pretty much ever, serving as Moment's head ski designer and VP. And even though Luke's got a new title, he is still in charge of product design there. Luke and I talk about the current state of things at Moment, their new 1617 lineup, including the new Meridian and the new Bibby Tour, how Moment's rather unique aesthetic came to be, and a bunch of other Moment-related stuff. This episode of the Blister Podcast is brought to you by Nest Bedding. We've been getting pretty obsessed around here with the simple fact that sleeping better directly translates to feeling better and performing better every day. And Nest has hundreds and hundreds of customer reviews testifying to what Nest's mattresses and other products have done for them. So check out NestBedding.com and see if one of their mattresses or pillows or comforters would be a smart investment for you. Now let's get to our conversation with Moment Skis' Luke Jacobson.
1: So Luke, where are you right now? I am. Uh, I'm in Sparks, Nevada, at the at the factory. I actually went outside to my truck to talk to you, so it's quieter <laughs> than the noisy factory. Yeah.
0: Um, and you've got you've got a new role uh, at Moment, which is sort of a new role, maybe in title only, not necessarily a new role. What's what's going on over there?
1: Yeah. So Casey Hawkinson founded Moment, um, and it was just a hobby. And I met him when he was about. 40 pairs deep or so. And then we actually turned Moment into a business. And now he's, and that's been over 10 years ago. Um, and I've been uh, engineer and VP for, for that time. And um, now Casey is pursuing some other ventures. And I have taken over as CEO. Casey's still the founder, but he's not. He doesn't have his hand in the everyday operation of Moment anymore. So um, I've had to bring some new guys up. And take over some new tasks, doing a little bit more of the, the the paperwork side of things. But yeah, we're still still deep in the ski design and all that.
0: And what's going on this summer? Um, what are you like getting into right now um, in Sparks?
1: Yeah, well, um, pretty much we've been since I took over. There's been, I've had some kind of changed up our employee base here. So, um, unfortunately, I had to let certain workers go. Some kind of wanted to go. They're kind of burnt out. And then I have brought some new guys in. So, um, I have a new grind, a new uh, ski grinder in who's kind of taken the, the lead of finishing from Utah. And he's been in the race world for years. So, that's been pretty amazing. Uh, and right now, I've been working on hiring um, some new layup guys, um, just to keep the production line more efficient. And right now, hopefully in the next week or two, trying to get our new website live a month earlier than normal since the ski sales cycles keeps on getting sooner and sooner. So right now is
0: in full on build mode. I mean, yeah. That, yep. And then when did that production, how long have you guys been like, starting or was there kind of production trickle that then ramps up to kind of full speed or was there just a, when the light turns green, it goes, you know, uh, full speed ahead.
1: Yeah. I mean, we, we're kind of in a unique scenario here because we manufacture our own product here, which is, uh, a burden and a blessing, uh, just because we mm-hmm. have to deal with all the machinery. But so what we do is we, we make, uh, from history and retail pre-orders we'll make our volume and overshoot that by a bit um you know assuming that we know what models are are more popular than others and, and hoping we sell those and then when models get close to selling out or when they do sell out um we have the opportunity to go back and make more you know sometimes it's you know just 30 or 50 more pairs of that ski because something else is selling out we need to make you know, more of those models, uh, other models. And so we had to do a lot of that this last winter. Uh, so we didn't attend the trade show, uh, trade shows last year as a brand. We did the on snow demos, but we were, we were at the trade shows at the end of January and whatnot. Um, did a bunch of demos, but really we wanted to start production earlier than we wanted. Uh, but kind of February, March, we were still doing short runs of remakes of skis we were selling out of, just because there was still demand for them. So probably about it was mid-March when we started full, full production. Um, we kind of need that time as well, just because there's always like material suppliers, which is one of the biggest things to plan for and, and, and lead times within ski manufacturing. You know, is waiting for base material or sidewall material or custom fiberglass or top sheet from Europe. So there's a lot of factors that go into it, but we've been we've been full bore since mid-March.
0: Hmm. And did you say moment, I mean, in terms of production runs, you guys have been around now for 10 years, give or take, or exactly 10?
1: Give or take. Yeah, yeah our, our, our bookkeeping isn't amazing in the early days. Um, I guess it depends when you want to count it. I think our first SIA was 2006, though. So
0: what what do you look back on about the early days and sort of miss about those days? What do you look back on about those early days and think, thank God, you know, we're in a different place now. You know what I mean? Kind of year one versus year 10 type of a thing. Um, Does it feel worlds different? Does it feel like, yeah, you know, we've just incrementally doing our thing year to year. What's what's that kind of perspective like?
1: You know, back then, it, we didn't look at it um, like a business. It just kind of happened. Like, I was actually still going to college for my mechanical engineering degree, and Casey was still doing masonry. And, um, you know, we went to SIA and got an order from backcountry.com. We're like, holy crap. <laughs> like so <laughs> it was it was like kind of an unintentional business um at first i think the first year we went to the trade show like we, we didn't even have a price sheet um i remember the first time we made a park ski we had we didn't even like really look at our material costs it was so fun we're like how much should we sell the park ski for 420 that'll be funny they're park skiers like <laughs> there was like there was no accounting going on like luckily like uh, like we had invested our own personal money and Casey had taken, uh, you know, a, a lien on his house to get some money and, and had had a good income from the masonry business that he ran, but it wasn't like we were just, I mean, we were still, we had money coming in, but we weren't looking at the hard numbers and it was mm-hmm. a lot easier to just like be blind about that, you know, mm-hmm. but in retrospect, it was incredibly dumb. And we eventually learned that, learned that, <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: I think so many startups can, could, could quote that line. In retrospect, it was incredibly dumb.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, there are so many silly things I look back at. Um, you know, like our, our space was really small at the beginning. And so like we when we started like becoming more of a company, we kept all we would transport all the skis, finished skis to Casey's garage. And we're like, yeah, we'll just ship every Thursday. And it ended up being, like, every Thursday at, like, 11 o'clock at night. And he had a roommate that slept in the the room next to the garage, and you were just using the tape gun, like, for two hours at night, packaging all the skis. And he was pissed because you were keeping him up because he had, like, a morning job as, like, a server. And I don't know. It was really funny. Um, but it was like, why were we transporting skis all the way across town to go ship them and then drive them all the way? You know, it's like all these <laughs> – like it's like so obvious, but there's like so many little things, and that's been like also like the most fun part about the whole thing is is how much you learn. I mean, I still learn things almost every day here yeah. on how to do something more efficient or or, or better in some way, shape, or form. Um, but yeah, we just we were having a lot of fun back then, and we are now. But I feel like the lessons we learned back then were were bigger maybe, and now yeah. they're just a little bit more intricate. Yeah. So yeah yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> um that's pretty great um how long ago did you finalize and really lock in the plans for this sixteen seventeen line?
1: uh the sixteen seventeen line was dialed back like a hundred percent final, like counting graphics and all that like December, hmm. but we did like with the exception of the TALAC, um, mm-hmm. that was a later season change, uh, that we made. Um, really, we, sometimes when you, when you get into like, when you're designing a new ski or you're, or, or I don't know, like sometimes you get a new ski, like this is how it works for, for myself. And I think Casey did it the same way, you know, we'll design a new ski and we'll get used to, you know, maybe like a, a ski with tip and tail rocker and it's mm-hmm. easier to ski because it's mounted farther forward. And you'll be testing a lot of versions of this. And then you'll just kind of get used to it. And then when you just go free ski, you'll just be like, Oh, I'll just take that ski, you know? Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, we have 17 different models across the board now. And sometimes you like, honestly, don't give the classics enough love and get on them again. Um, and I think that's what happened with with us. Like we weren't I feel like we were being lazy skiers and we weren't getting on the stiff directional Belafonte as much as we should have. Hmm. And we got on it and we were like, oh man, this is this is amazing. Like we for we forgot how much we liked that ski because we had been testing like the full rocker, like Meridian, and we've been really like playing a lot with like the tour collection yep. um and doing doing various other things. And when we started skiing the Belafonte a lot more, uh is when we were like, you know, that's, we essentially just need to make the Belafonte in a tour version for the Talak because we were working with a couple other people on the Talak, and, um, you know, they had great ideas. Um, and it was a super, I mean, it was, it was a good ski, but it wasn't a ski that we, we were finalized on and we were set on, um, skiing all the time, you know, we, we typically don't have a lot of skis with that much tip taper as we've talked about in the past. Yeah.
0: That, that was my biggest, as you know, that was my, um, I mean, it's what I wrote in my review of it. It's like, if you are a person who already knows that you love a lot of tip taper, then cool. And like, this might work for you. But I think my thing in general is when we are lightening up these skis, the lighter you're going, and I'm not saying I'm right or wrong about this, but it's kind of my take. Like, I think when you're trying to lighten up a ski as a touring ski, there's less and less need to go with heavy tip taper because um, the, the overall weight and swing weight of the ski is going to be low anyway. Um, and so I'm I'm actually really excited to check out this new version, effectively a lighter Belafonte. That sounds much more interesting to me personally uh, for a touring setup um, than that heavily tip tapered uh, previous uh, Talak.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think you'll like it a lot more. It's 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 been really fun to ski on. But on the point of of lighter skis and tip taper, um, I you're definitely I agree with what you're saying on you need less and less of it when your skis get lighter. Um, you know, when we originally made our tour ski the Exit World, yep. Um, before its version, what it is now, it was essentially a touring bibby, and mm-hmm. that was lighter, slightly skinnier, and then we're like, well, this is our powder touring ski. A lot of people like more tip taper and powder. Let's try it with more tip taper. And, you know, the, the first year's rendition of it was just a narrower bibby um, with a little bit more tip taper, and it was a great ski but then when we were skiing on it we are like you know it doesn't we were originally attributing it's um how it, it couldn't charge as hard as the bibby just to the composite layup and the lighter core yep. but then as we went to round 2 of that exit world we were like whoa we need to bring the side cut back up in the tip um in there that that blend zone that transition point whatever you want to call it from side cut to tip taper is really sensitive to where it is on what type of rocker line you have. Um, but a lot of our skis, our side cut goes pretty high up into the rocker line. And that really allows the ski to, to grab when you roll it over. And then it's like just working with a preflex tip. Um, mm-hmm. so that, that version two of the exit world was, uh, hands down a lot better than the the first version and now there's you know the exit world's a different beast now it's like a skinny yep. ghost train but yep. now we have the Bibby tour which is exactly the same ski as a Bibby. um with it has the dished out tail for the skin clip and it has a lighter core and a lighter composite build with with less fiberglass more carbon
0: yeah and did you <clears throat> excuse me when we talked about this a while ago I'm not sure that you had a a clear sense at the time, um, or maybe you just didn't have a spreadsheet in front of you. But say the 184 Bibby, or the and actually, because I'm curious, the 190 Bibby. Do you have? Do you know that number about like how many? Oh, I forget. We always measure stuff in grams. You do it per per ounce or pound. But uh, how much lighter is this thing getting than than the regular Bibby?
1: Uh, yeah. I don't have the spreadsheet in front of me, but I mean, it's, it's a little over a pound lighter.
0: Okay. Yeah. Per pair, not per ski, per pair. Per pair. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Half a pound.
1: Yeah. A okay. little over half a pound. I think it's closer to like 1.2 pounds. So yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll listen on both, uh, units of measure on our website. So they're there and we always list everything as a pair. Okay. I'm used to, we talk in pairs and pounds and I'll convert it to grams for the website. Um, yeah we just do mixed units, you know everything's a millimeter, centimeters and then pounds <laughs> so yep
0: yeah. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, we kind of do the same thing so here's to here's to nonsensical non consistent use of of uh of uh metrics and scales um, yeah, right keep it weird um yeah. say a bit more about the meridian, I know an, we're getting more and more emails asking us about that ski um What's going on with there? When did, uh, how long has the Meridian sort of been an idea? Um, yeah, talk about that ski.
1: Yeah, so we have a ski that a lot of people talk about, um, but actually don't get on because I know how many are sold, um, is the Chipotle Banana. And that is a really fun ski um, if, that Karsten Oliver uh, developed with us. And he's definitely been our most hands-on athlete. Uh, typically every summer he'll he'll come out here from Utah and stay with us and he will come in the factory, work super hard like cutting glass, doing all this and then we'll stay late with him and you know, we'll jump in and do a bunch of CAD design and make a, a ton of different molds for him and different core profiles and definitely that's like the most in-depth athlete we have. Typically this is all done by us in-house and then we send people samples um and then they test them uh it's just easier for uh for karsten to do that but anyways the car the, the chipotle banana um is you know it's a huge powder ski 120 plus underfoot and it has what we call radius rocker where the side cut matches the rocker profile um and it's quite a bit stiffer the ghost train is a more accessible version of that ski to most people because it's, flat underfoot and it's Um, if you're not a supercharger, uh, skier, the, the flex profile is a bit more forgiving. Um, but you know, Karsten goes fast, um, through everything. So he definitely likes the lower rocker profile and, um, that side cut to radius match that can hook up. And, um, Karsten has been skiing on all of our other skis, uh, over the years, typically the death wishes is is all mountain ski and PB and J. But, you know, he was like, can we make a, a radius rocker? um all mountain ski. And we're like, yeah, let's do it. And so um we started toying with the radius rocker. Um but then the ski was becoming really straight um mm-hmm. for the rocker profile that we wanted to achieve. So now the side cut radius does not match the rocker profile of the ski. It's a little different, but we don't call it radius rocker anymore. We're not gonna lie to anyone. It's just a full rockered ski. Um, and you know, I've been on a lot of full rocker skis out there and, and didn't really enjoy them that much. Um, but I'm pretty, I'm really, I'm really happy on what we came up with the Meridian um, because it is pre-flexed all the way being full rocker. It's, it's quite a bit um, stiffer and it, it's really just a super easy, agile ski. And I, I did a bunch of testing on it and I've just made a bunch of pairs with demo bindings and and just had my friends jump on them. And it's pretty fun just to see people get on a ski that you can just go so quick edge to edge with. Um, You know, the only thing I feel like the Meridian and any full rocker ski lacks is you can't flex it as far um, just because you don't have any camber there. So you're not going to get as much life out of it through like a transition point so Mm -hmm. it feels a little bit different like in in variable snow and like when you kind of get into some bumps it doesn't push back as hard just because you're not you don't have that camber to push against Mm -hmm. but that's like the main difference on the ski but because it is pre flexed it it goes from edge to edge much faster than anything on that in that 107 Mm -hmm. waist range which makes it really fun and then the ski has it is the same side cut on the left and right hand side of the ski we just had fun with a different asymmetrical tip and tail on the ski Mm -hmm. so if anyone has questions on that it's not it's not like that new uh that new k2 ski the what marksman or something yeah yeah it's not like that it's just a fun tip and tail fun
0: tip fun
1: Fun tip tip and yeah
0: that's good marketing just put the word fun in front of anything
1: it's like fun
0: rocker or fun camber yeah yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly. That's I mean, right. it is. It is. It is happy. It is happy camber, because it's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
0: Um, by the way, what's the what's the mount point on that thing? I'm guessing uh, it's a pretty pretty centered up.
1: Yeah, more it's, uh, centered than traditional. It's minus five. Okay. For true center.
0: Yeah. Okay. You've maybe hinted at this already, but what's your current? personal favorite ski in the lineup
1: yeah i mean i definitely have been on the belafonte 186 a lot more um than i used to be my my old daily driver was the Deathwish 190 um mm-hmm. and then yeah it's been the belafonte 86 um mm-hmm. And I think I was just getting a little lazy. The Death Wish is really fun, but it's a lot easier to ski. But when you ski the Belafonte properly, um, you can really charge on it. Um, and yeah, I just, i the, the reason, which is kind of funny that you might, I think maybe I told you before when we talked, but um, I'm dating this girl and she was on the US ski team and she used to get. bunch of free skis and still can from another ski company um but then she was like no i want to ski your skis and then she i was given putting her on all these different skis and she was like oh this one's fun this one's good and then i was like well she's like do you have anything stiffer anything straighter like and then eventually i got on the belafonte she's like this is like my favorite ski that i've ever been on and i'm like really (laughs) and um so I, i made her she has two custom pairs of that so she has and she kind of had the original Talak because she has a Bellafonte '78 custom top sheet that I made for her, and then she loved that ski so much that she was like, "Can you make this in a touring ski for me?" And I was like, "Yeah." And that that was kind of the first Talak Belafonte.
0: Huh. Um, Interesting.
1: And then, so, at, yeah, once she God bless skiing, your
0: girlfriend. Yeah. You don't yeah. you don't listen to me, but if I was prettier and on the you know U.S. ski team, maybe I'd maybe I'd get uh... a you know, I'd get a word in.
1: Yeah, well, she has long blonde hair. You don't have any hair. No. it's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, then, then when she started skiing that, I was like, you know, I need to go ski that ski more. And then I'll, you know, she's right, obviously. She's right most of the time. And um, yeah, I've just been on, I've been on the Belafonte a lot more. Um, and then I've been on the new Tawak touring most of the time, just on a couple different versions of that um, just before we went to production on it. Um, and then I've been on a, uh, I don't even know if I want to say it, but I guess I will, cause we might be making it is a, um, full carbon version of that to lack just to, um, huh. yeah, it's, it's just for the people that really are concerned about weight. Um, I think our, our touring skis are, are very competitive and still have a better feel than a full carbon ski on what our standard touring line is. But there is that demand for people that are, are really, you know, worried about every gram they're adding to their setup and, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just physics only allow you to get away with so much. And that when you go yeah. so light, that ski's just going to get deflected around a lot easier and, you know, carbon, you, so you put so much energy into it and it wants to give so much of it back. So it's really what we, you know, I, I, I don't foresee us making a full super light tour version of every tour ski we make, but, um, you know, what, what we can learn playing with these composites in this world can, you know, potentially transition to, you know, discovery and Hey, we can change the layup this way and get this out of it. So, It's, it's, I just don't want to write it off. And so we've been playing with, with that full carbon layup, um, and, and potentially might offer that full carbon layup on the, on the web this year as a direct sale item. Hmm.
0: Interesting. You also made mention, and I can't, I don't know if this was a joke or not. And so you don't have to answer this question, but you had made mention in a previous conversation of a, of another new ski that might be getting rolled out and there was some big story that involved some European skier and I think the word chief or chieftain or <laughs> is, is it should we move on or or do you care to, to speak to this
1: yeah we can I guess we can talk about it I haven't told anyone outside of the people that know about it here locally but I guess now's a, a great time uh <laughs> So um we are making a straight ski. Um two winters ago in the spring I started skiing this really old Rosingall prototype ski from like back in the day that my dad had bought from one of my ski coaches when I was racing. Um and I like found them in the closet. I'm like, I'm gonna go ski these things because there's <laughs> kind of crappy conditions in Tahoe a couple years ago. Um And I was like, wow, this is really fun. Um, I haven't been on like a a traditional straight ski in a long time, you know. Like, and this was a good one. This is when they like added just a little bit more side cut. I think it went from like what, like five millimeters of side cut to seven or seven to nine, whatever (laughs) it was. Um, But it it was just so much fun. And I know everybody does the longboard days and straight ski days and stuff like that. But like, I skied it a lot and was loving it. Um, And I was like, man, I need to make a straight ski. Um, And then also like. Full, you know, full disclosure. Like Mike McCabe at Folsom has been making a straight ski for a couple of years now, the Turn Tech Pro. Um, and I don't know if Mike is going to listen to this, but I'm going to send him the link. He, I think the Turn Tech comes in a 201, and that's like as big as his press can be. So I've told him a couple times, like when we're hanging out drinking, that I'm going to make mine just a little bit bigger, just just to piss him off. And so I think I'm finally going to do it this year. Um, and yeah, and we're going to call it the, the chief commander 207. Yeah. (laughs) And I guess if you wanted the backstory on that, um, is when we, it's pretty funny. Like when we first launched the moment website years and years ago, um, I made it and I had no experience making an e-commerce site before. And within like a couple days, we received ski orders from, from customers named Mary Jane Burns and (laughs) Oliver Dix. And like, I'm sure those people got teased as kids all the time, but they're, they're, they're still customers till this, to this day. And we, they're, they're awesome. And cause, but I thought like our website was hacked and <laughs> cause they happened, like they were almost back to back orders. Um, and I, you know, they're kind of silly if you want to be childish about it. Um, but, but Oliver and I have, have become friends and he lives in Germany now, uh, kind of where the Alps start in this cool little town. And he's just like, he went over there to, to, His parents are from Germany and to brew beer, and he lives in, like, this little ski town that still, you know, when people used to talk about Europe, they're like, yeah, no one skis off-piste there. There's so much POW to be had. You know, that's not really a case there anymore, but it really is there. It's awesome. You can go, and you can just drop off into the backcountry, off the resort, ski down to Austria, get a coffee, take the bus around. There's really no one fighting for your POW lines there. And typically after the European trade show, ISPO, I go see Ollie um, every, every time I'm there and go ski with him for a week. And then typically we'll go to Verbier or somewhere else. But, um, he was working when I, when I arrived in town, he's like, "Go ski with my buddy Flo," And Flo is a awesome skier. And it was kind of a stormy day and, um, super smart guy, but you know, he, he obviously didn't speak English all the time. So it was a little rusty. And everywhere we went, I'm like, yeah, Flo, it kind of looks, you know, c- conditions were variable. But he's like, every time, I think it's okay. I think it's okay. Um, so I was really just going off what Flo was telling me because it was super stormy. Um, but we had a good time. Um, obviously, we're still here. Um, but when we were taking the, the tram back up one time in his silly German voice, you know, he was trying to ask if I was the, the, the boss, the main guy. moment and he goes you know are you the uh the chief commander and i just thought it was so funny i think he wanted to say ceo and i was like no but i want to be and that is a great (laughs) ski name is the chief commander yeah um yeah so that's kind of where the name came from um it's gonna be a classic straight ski um and there's gonna be another little twist to it which i'll i'll wait for its release but it'll be pretty cool it'll just be fun Definitely like an '80s graphic, Um, yeah. But just a just a short run, fun ski.
0: And it's so it'll only be available in a single length, and that length is you're going with. Is it 207? 207, yeah. 207. All right. Everybody complaining about short skis these days, Chief Commander.
1: Yeah. We can make it longer. I think I looked at. I think our longest press could accept like a 240. I looked. Oh wow. Cause I was kind of concerned after Mike at Folsom was like, yeah, the longest I could really press it was like a two Oh one or two Oh two, whatever he's at there. It's pretty, he's pretty much maxed out, but he actually has new presses now. So maybe he's, maybe he's pressing a longer turn tech bro. I don't know.
0: Oh man. He's yeah. <laughs> or he's just going to make like the real chief commander and it'll be like two Oh eight.
1: Yeah, exactly. See, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have spilt the beans. Cause no. now you can get a jump start. It's yeah. a, it's, it's an arms race, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, exactly. I don't, just, I don't know if we're the Russians or if Mike, if Mike and Folsom are the Russians. You know, right? It's Cold War here. Cold War. I mean, yeah. maybe
0: you just have to go right now, go big, make the two forty.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That'd be terrifying. I don't know if I'm that much of a man.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah, that could be that could be tricky. Um. I want to talk a little bit about art, and you know, Moment, I think it's fair to say has something of an aesthetic going on. And I don't know that I don't think it's like some monolithic aesthetic, but um, I've always kind of wanted to have this conversation with you. Um, uh, You know, I think from the from the design and look of the catalogs, and then more importantly, or more obviously, the kind of the the art on the skis themselves um you guys don't exactly look like everybody else out there Um, so what i mean is there such a thing as kind of a moment aesthetic and and if there is are you kind of responsible for that or you know talk to me a little bit about moment and art and and how and why we see what we do on these in the stuff you're putting out whether it's hoodies or skis or catalogs, et cetera.
1: Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm part of that. Uh, but I guess like the, 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 initial driving force behind the aesthetic is, um, one of my best friends, uh, Max Lewis Miller, Max, I don't know. It's funny. He lists his name, his full name, um, in the catalog, <laughs> <laughs> but apparently it Google's better. Um, But Max, Max and I used to be roommates. We went to college together. He's an amazing photographer and artist. He lives in in Brooklyn, New York now and uh, is in the the fashion photo world and does all the retouching on the gorgeous models to, you know, make women hate themselves um, (laughs) more like the teenage girls and stuff like that because he retouches them. It's mind blowing. It's mind blowing what he does. It's 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 really cool, but it's also kind of scary um, what he can do to a photograph. but he's, he's great on that. I mean, he was just, he goes to like Miss USA or Miss America, whichever one Trump owns. And he sure. goes down and, and retouches all those girls for the photo shoots. Um, mm. But anyways, Max, Max, before he was doing all his photo stuff, he was, he was my roommate. And uh, when I met Casey, we needed some art and things like that. There was some really rough stuff back in the day. Um, and so Max kind of came in and started doing, doing some art for us. And, uh, you know, he kind of set the tone. Um, and a lot of our, I mean, Max grew up snowboarding. I grew up skiing the whole time, but all my friends were snowboarders and, you know, both of us listened to kind of like this punk rock DIY culture growing up. Um, and you know, like, I guess like the, you know, as soon as skiing got cooler with twin tips, like. The aesthetic was never cool. Like, I don't want racing stripes and checkers on my skis. This isn't a Formula One race. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, as we grew as a brand and, um, you know, uh, made more skis and Max couldn't keep up with how many models we had to do graphics for and we needed some diversification, like, the, the starting style was kind of based off of what Max did. And so we tried to find someone that was, that could fit and blend, but was still different um, from what Max was doing. And and we've gone through some people over the years, um, but Max does, does a lot of the skis still. And then we work with this guy, uh, Chris Everhart. Uh, he's awesome. He does like, and again, it's kind of rooted in music. He does a lot of um, the really cool screen p- printed uh, tour posters for, for like, lots of indie bands and some really big name bands and punk rock bands and and, and all that stuff. And really it's as things become more digital and people like to do all these vector graphics that are just like crisp, like there's still something that I enjoy about an aesthetic that's a little bit more cut and paste, that is a little bit more raw, that there's some pixels there that, you know, I don't know, I can... I just appreciate the the little roughness around the edge of that. Mm -hmm. It looks a little bit more like art to me than totally digital. But at the same time, you know, like our new ski, uh, our new graphic on the exit world was done by this guy named Nick Franchi, who's awesome out of Utah. And it's, it's totally like 3d vector. Um, Like it's like this crazy spaceman. It's amazing. Like Franchi's on a different level on digital. Um, but he, he, he adds texture to it. So he, he kind of gives it some, some heart, I feel like. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I just, a lot of it's rooted in in a music culture. A lot of it is, you know, more of like a surf and honestly snowboarding culture. Like I just snowboard and surfboard is way, way easier and better canvas to like put art on. Like skis are so weird and Mm -hmm. skinny and long, but I just want to look at something that like, I guess is maybe familiar in a different part of my life that I enjoy. Just because I ski, I don't want to like to put a skier in mountains on skis or checkers, like from a race background. I don't know. That's just not that interesting to me. Yeah.
0: yeah. How um how keyed in are you to sort of the contemporary visual art scene? Um I mean are you I mean, and that's obviously really broad. Like what the hell does contemporary visual art even mean, um, anymore? Um, cause I don't know that that simply means like walking into a gallery, an art gallery and looking at what's hanging on the wall. But, um, what, what are you paying attention to? Um, I mean, you've already mentioned kind of, you know, what's happening in kind of the world of snowboarding and, and music. Um, but. I don't know other, other influences apart from that kind of skate or surf or, or board culture.
1: Yeah. Um, I used to be a lot more into it, but I'm just like incredibly busy now. So I still have my key friends that I look at their blogs and Facebooks to still know it's cool. Um, but uh, locally here, I am the, uh, I'm the president on the board of, uh, this nonprofit. Um, we're called the Holland project and it is a arts music culture space for the youth by the youth. And so, um, you know, there's a gallery up front and a, um, a stage and then a workshop in the back. And like, it's really cool. Like they have like tons of cool, um, workshops and things to teach. Uh, younger generation and artists like how to do different photography or painting or screen printing or whatever it might be and then they bring really cool artists through in the gallery um, from out of town to showcase different things and then there's like really big bands that are are, are bands that are about to go big that play at the Holland Mm -hmm. Project Um, and then a bunch of local bands so you know I, I see like a lot of really cool things there I see you know like a year or so ago before this band, the future islands became really big and they're on like David Letterman and things like that. They came through the Holland project and like, I mean the show sold out and there was only 150 people there because that's how big the space is. But we just bought our building and like, there's a lot of like cool things that come through, um, that come through Reno and we get a lot of really cool culture up from the Bay area. But yeah, it's, it's, it's mainly ingrained in, in music and things like that. Um, I don't know. I like, look at a lot of simplistic design architecture since I just bought a house and I'm remodeling mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So, but mainly most of its music, most of mm-hmm. it's the music, uh, graphic scene that goes along with that.
0: Cool. Um, Holland project sounds awesome.
1: Yeah. It's really cool. Hollandreno.org. I think I'm hollandreno.org. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool.
0: We'll throw a, a link to it. Um, in the show notes for this, but, uh, yeah, thank you. Um, so what are you listening to these days? I'm, I'm kind of, I'm in a search for, for new music right now. I'm in a, I've been asking more and more people, but what, um, any standout bands or anything you got on heavy rotation at the moment?
1: Uh, you know, not any like new bands. I've been going back to like some stuff that I used to listen to. Um, I listen to, well, you know, the new Avett Brothers CD is pretty good. I don't do like a it's more folky country stuff, but uh, New Avid Brothers is good, uh, and it, I don't know it's probably like eight months old now, but I'm kind of in that same realm as the uh, the new Connor Oberst CD. He's a lead uh-huh. guy at Bright Eyes. Yep. Um, and then uh, there's uh, kind of a harder, not harder punk band. They used to be really poppy, but they're called Brand New. They just released a couple new songs and some reworks. They're on tour right now with Modest Mouse. Uh Um, And then I listened to a lot of Against Me and then the Future Islands that I was telling you about. Uh, Yeah. And then really what I've been doing a lot, like I've been listening to so much old stuff because I I have a Spotify account. And Spotify has that Discover Weekly thing. Yeah. And honestly, like it just plays songs that I haven't heard in like two years. And I'm like, this is awesome. And so, like, I'll just go back and listen to like bands that I haven't heard in a long time. And I've been really haven't, I've been listening to, you know, more of like a radio style thing than versus just one band like I used to do. Um, so it's kind of all over the board, honestly. (laughs) But yeah, people are on Spotify. I like new music. I like to send stuff to my buddies and do that sort of thing. Yeah.
0: Um, Cool. Yeah. I'm surprised. I wasn't expecting bright eyes from you, but,
1: uh, Oh, Connor Overs is amazing. Bright eyes is one of my favorite. Like, honestly, cool. (laughs) Not that I'm depressed. I just, I don't know. He's (laughs) like a modern day Bob Dylan. He's just just got away with words. Yeah.
0: No, I, I think at, at his best, um, at his best, uh, the Dylan comparison, um, becomes not, uh, not ridiculous at all. Um, so, and I had actually been wondering what had happened to the guy. So I, uh, this is news. You're breaking news for me that he's got a new album. So that's cool.
1: Yeah. He does so many different side projects, you know, right? Did Monsters <clears throat> and Folk for a while. Yep. And then he's got a new album there. And, um, yeah, I think he, he has his own record label now, I think. And then he was doing a bunch of stuff with first aid kit as well. Hmm. So, yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, life outside of work um you've talked about holland project um but when you're not uh at the factory what else are you into
1: uh i used to mountain bike a lot but honestly that's i've been really bad at biking lately my car i'm gonna suck at touring next year um (laughs) i've been i've been rock climbing a bunch the last couple summers so i've been really into that And then um, I've been been flying airplanes a lot. I've had my private, I grew up, my dad's a pilot um, for Delta and I grew up in planes and I've had my private pilot's license for a couple of years now. And um, I've been doing a bunch of aerobatic training. So I'm trying to buy a, uh, it's a little biplane, fully aerobatic biplane called a PITS. So I'm in the process of of buying a PITS right now. I just got checked out in a two seat version of the plane last week. Yeah. So that's pretty, that's like the most fun I've ever had. Is aerobatics in
0: a pit. So, what's the like coolest move you can currently pull without, you know, crashing?
1: Um, it's called a lumshavak. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I think it's check for headache. Uh, <laughs> God.
0: Uh huh.
1: You should it's you should look it up on YouTube. Um, but it's it's more of what they would call a tumble in an aircraft Mm. so pretty much instead of like the plane flying propeller first like nose first imagine that the plane is flying like it can be right or like just for example right wing tip first Uh and then it's doing somersaults head over heels oh god it's it's called a tumble yeah i mean no it's called a headache yeah it's called (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah I don't know. Lumpshabuck's pretty cool. I just learned how to do that. Um, so that's been pretty cool. Um, and then, yeah, I just like did that. And then part of the training in the aircraft is because it's fully aerobatic was that you like, if you, if you botch any maneuver, you know, like what, like, hopefully you're not going to break the airplane, but the airplane is an aerobatic airplane. So it's super strong. Like you're going to mess something up before you're going to, you're going to like black out. Or, or mess oh something up before God. you break the airplane. So um, what you have to do to get checked out, like I'm legally allowed to fly it right now with my pilot's license, but I can't get insurance on it without a checkout is how it works. So I needed to go in the two-seat version, and they teach you um, stall spin recovery from all modes. So one of the craziest things we did is we, we rolled inverted, and then we stalled the wing – wings of the plane and then went into a spin which is like a downward spiral well spiral something different but the plane's rolling in a in uh sort of style like more or so straight down towards the ground but then you add power and cross control your ailerons and what ends up happening is the nose ends up rising so you you're doing an accelerated inverted flat spin in the aircraft and then you have to recover from that mode which is which is more of a headache than a Lumshevok, honestly. <laughs> so, yeah. Huh.
0: Interesting. <clears throat> this, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not into tricks called, like, headaches and then talk about blacking out. You kind of lost me after the whole, like, you'll probably black out before you, like, you know, crash the plane or hurt the plane. <laughs> It's like now I'm also worried that you're not allowed to be up in the air listening to like your emo bright eyes stuff and then just decide like, yeah, man, life is hard. Like yeah. When you're, no. <laughs> don't do that. All right. No, no, Connor. No,
1: no, no, Connor. I'll put on like some, some, some hard metal, you know, like some death okay. haven. They're good. <laughs> if you've heard them, it's like, I listen to a lot of metal too death Haven's cool. Okay. Um Yeah. No, you don't. You don't want to listen to music while you're doing aerobatics. You gotta, you gotta listen to your engine and make sure you don't overspeed your prop. Um, and then you're, you have to like seriously grunt when you're, when you're doing these maneuvers, um, and like flex your, your legs and your stomach, um, so the, so you kind of restrict the blood flow. You know, like the Air Force Jeez. guys, they get G suits which squeeze down on their body to stop the blood like rushing in and out of their head. But you just kind of need to, when you're doing aerobatics on your own, you just kind of need to pretend like you're on the john. So.
0: Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's... I'm learning so much today. Yeah. I, I definitely <laughs> didn't think this is the sort of thing that we were going to be having a conversation about. So yeah, uh, neither did I. Neither
1: did I. <laughs>
0: I'm learning a lot. Maybe I could, I wonder what would happen if I like got one of those stunt pilot suits and like skied in that thing. Would I, would I have a, like
1: ski moguls better somehow? I don't know. I don't think you're really pulling that many G skiing. I think that's how they're activated.
0: You've never skied with me, bro.
1: Yeah. Just kidding. I have kidding. Just, I have kidding. just yeah. kidding.
0: All right. Let's move on. Okay. Uh, so, all right. Um, what would you rather be, commercial pilot or a DJ?
1: <laughs> commercial pilot. I'm DJing my buddy Mike Rogie's wedding this weekend. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. You're already, you're, you're already a DJ. Okay. Mike is getting married uh, this weekend. And so my buddy, Max, who is the right hand man here at moment now, him and I, um, DJ and get paid sometimes, um, under the name, the shitty Beatles that we (laughs) took from Wayne's world. When they go to the gas works, there's like a whole line there. It's awesome. Um, but yeah, we just go, we get typically like matching shirts. Um, and then, yeah we we dj it's pretty fun but like as a dj like at a bar originally we're just getting paid in free drinks and like i i'm getting too old man i can't hang anymore like i would have a hangover for two days after djing like it it wasn't worth it (laughs) (laughs) i value my free time because i have to work so much making skis that i just didn't want to go dj and be hungover for the rest of the weekend, you know. Right. So.
0: Cuz especially now since you can just go up in a plane and black out that way and you don't even yeah. have to drink anything. So like why would you bother? No.
1: Yeah.
0: Um <clears throat> you know this by the way, this this occurs to me and uh I'm I'm uh I'm trying to wrap this up in a you know, this is a whole another we should do a whole another podcast about this actually and we we might actually do that, but this somehow jogged my memory about Wes Anderson films because yeah. when I was talking about this with Jed Yiser and you rightly you know kind of interjected into the conversation um what's your current favorite Wes Anderson film
1: I think it's always been Life Aquatic I mean I I love them all yeah. um, but Life Aquatic is just like
0: that's your it's one It's the
1: best I just like how, I Phil Murray's great, obviously, and he has yeah. a huge role yep. in that, in that flick. Um, it's just, yeah, it's awesome. Okay.
0: I it's- You know, I, I've got to, I still haven't, I mean, when I was talking to Jed back in like last December, I was like, I have to revisit Life Aquatic and I still haven't had the chance to, so I've got to, I got to go back on that one, but it's definitely not my favorite. It's, de- Life Aquatic currently isn't even in like my top three, so.
1: Um, What's your favorite?
0: Uh, <clears throat> historically, it's been Rushmore with Royal Tenenbaums as my clear number two, um, but Grand Budapest Hotel is unbelievable. Yeah, and that's the one I need to do a rewatch of that too. But I I wonder if that film has is gonna possibly bump. Rushmore or the Royal Tenenbaums out and now you guys all got me wondering if I just missed it on Life Aquatic so I gotta kind of go back there too um, so. yeah,
1: there, there's just a lot of like sillier lines you know like I mean Rushmore you can't name a ski I wrote a hit play like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true yeah they're OR oh, scrubs oh, are they you know lines like that are amazing um,
0: you could of course name a ski Rushmore
1: yeah yeah, but then, I don't know. There's not a lot of skiing in South Dakota. So, <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, that's where, that's where you know, Jaguar Shark and things yeah. like that came from. And then yeah. the, the, before we named the ski the Death Wish, we called it the, the, the CAD file. I think maybe even today is called Ned. From, oh, that's right. Yeah, from his, uh, the, the character's name. In, in By the way, Green. that
0: is I would be remiss not to ask you about that name, the Death Wish. Because I've had more than one person, by which I mean, I've had many, many people say, like, dude, that's the worst name of a ski ever.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I've actually, I I know people say that. I've only had one person say that to me. Um, Okay. And it was right when we came out with the ski, and it was Matt Hansen from Powder Magazine. He was like, that's a horrible name.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So how did, what was the name? Why? I mean, Ned, that, I mean, that would have actually been, a you know. Not an interesting name, except for the no, backstory. But we well, how did you it guys in the send CAD file or
1: something? Yeah, yeah. That would be a horrible name.
0: Backstory: You get ten, you know, ten out of ten points for the backstory, but just for the name itself sitting on a wall, probably not so hot. But uh I mean, of course, it would be interesting now if you change the Death Wish name to Ned. But <laughs> how well, how did you settle on that? And how drunk were you that night?
1: No, we weren't. We weren't drunk at all. So this goes back. To Max Lewis Miller our graphic artist Um, and typically the artists don't have much of a say in the name of the skis Um, but we were we were getting we were playing with the triple camber concept at the Mm -hmm. time and we were making prototypes that were looking very successful because the original Death Wish was our first triple camber twin rocker ski and um, now it's our best seller, but I didn't expect it to be so big of a hit. Yeah. And 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 ski as well and, and do everything as well as it does. Um so I, I hit up Max and Max always wants to do these over the top, super edgy, crazy graphics that are, are a little too heavy uh for most people, but that's what is fun about being a smaller company, you know. I don't have to do a focus group on my graphics to see which will sell better. Um right. I just kinda hope I get lucky. Uh, but, um, uh, like Max go crazy on a graphic and like the first three years of the death wish were like these crazy graphics and what, well, anyways, he made this graphic and he didn't, we didn't have a name for the ski. And so Max named his graphic file deathwish.psd .psd, And I was like, dude, Max, I'm not going to name the ski the death wish. Like you can't name a ski the death wish. And he was like, well, when you figure it out, like I just had to name the file something. Um, and so regardless, I have this, this this graphic file and we have more prototypes and it was early season um, and we were we were trying to come up with a, a closer rendition to the final version of the ski and, and we, we made about five different prototype versions and the only thing open at the time was this little more so park mountain in Tahoe called Boreal and um, it was myself, Casey, and our buddy John. And we went up there and we're skiing on the death wish and lower down the hill, there was some snowmaking going on. And we were only like three, four runs into the day and we were like, okay, we really want to see how this new profile feels at high speed. And so we just like went straight from the top and we get to the snowmaking and I'm like, Oh crap, this is sticky. So I kind of like ollied, I guess and made it three quarters away across the, the patch of like snow that was being blown when it was warm out. And I stuck double ejected tomahawked, and was sliding backwards down the hill. And then I look back uphill and Casey's there and Casey doesn't like jump or try to gap it at all. And he, um, he like hits the soft snow and just like goes head over heels and hits his head on the snow And like, doesn't move like, you know, I lost a lot of energy by tomahawking, but then I kind of lost my breath and, and, and John stopped above him and I come up and, you know, we're buddies and and Casey's tough as nails. Um, and I go up there and I start joking around with him and I didn't even think he was hurt. And then he goes, dude, go get ski patrol. And I was like, Oh crap. Like as Casey typically doesn't complain, we go get ski patrol And they take him down, and then he takes an ambulance to Truckee and then down to Reno, and he ended up breaking his neck. Uh. Um, And, you know, but luckily there there was no surgery required. He was just in a neck brace for a long time. He's fully recovered now besides getting, like, horrible neck pain often. Um, But, you know, like, still can move everything fine, has all feeling and mobility. So... But when when we knew he was going to be okay and he was in his neck brace down after the MRIs and whatnot down in Reno, um, I looked at him and I was like, dude, you know, we need to call that ski the death wish now, right? (laughs) (laughs) And so um, we did because we didn't think it was going to be so popular. (laughs) Um, I love it. But when people ask me about it now and they're concerned about the name, like, honestly, I don't think about it in a morbid way. Like – I think about it more as like, let's say there's an old guy sitting on the deck drinking a beer at a ski resort and he looks up and he sees you ripping down and you jump off a cliff, you know, and then you ski down and and go get a beer next to him. He's like, oh, whoa, hey, Sonny, you know, you got a death wish there doing that. Like, you know, you're just like a little crazier. I don't think of it like actual death. Like, that's horrible, obviously. I just kind of use it in the expression um, of, of the word like that, you know. Um, so what what
0: we've learned here today is, at moment, Death Wish carries the connotation of old guy drinking a beer on a sunny day. That's that's it.
1: That's it. That's it. That's yeah. all you need to think about. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: That yeah. makes a ton of sense now.
1: Actually, he's drinking a mojito. It's He's, he's a pretty classy guy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay. I want from you one prediction for the coming season, or... One gripe about the ski industry it doesn't have to even be like a big important thing, but something that you find yourself, it's bugging you or annoying you. So I want a prediction or a gripe.
1: A prediction. Um, I don't know, man. You can't say not knowing. I'd like to, uh, I hope it's another good winner, you know, Yeah. Um, for everybody's sake, for, for the world and water and skiing um a gripe i think i mean the biggest gripe is like a ski business person is really like figuring out where like sales channels are and like where they're going because and this is like an honest like gripe in the ski world is that like there's a lot of retailers out there there's like a lot of shops that have closed down a lot of people in the ski world are really bad at paying their bills. Um, so, I mean, that's a gripe. And then, you know, there's a lot of people moving direct, but, you know, you mm-hmm. still need ski shops. Mm-hmm. So that's like, that's like the biggest gripe is like trying to find that balance within the ski world. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to only sell direct, but I also like don't have the backing of a major corporation and like need to get paid so I could pay my employees and buy materials. And that's mm-hmm. like the hardest thing. A running small business and that's a gripe that's kind of always been there um yeah. but there's there's a weird there's a weird point in that with where shops are these days um in the ski world it's it, it's transitioning
0: yep yeah and i i mean <clears throat> this is something that it just seems to me to be real frank that um there needs to be a calling of the herd when it comes to ski shops and you know, this is something that we're doing more and more of, um, with respect to like our blister recommended shops list. But what seems obvious to me is there are too many shops. There are too many mediocre to bad shops. And we, I want to just do a better job of highlighting the shops that really are on point and the shops that are really providing really good customer service. And, um, you know, and direct the flow of foot traffic and dollars spent to those good shops. Um, I think everybody, there's no downside to that, right? Like if we could just, you know, and sh- it's like, look, if you're not good, you don't deserve to exist. And I don't know, I think that that kind of, um, if, we, if, if some of those shitty shops, you know, weren't getting the traffic anymore because they haven't earned it, that would be a good thing for the industry. And if the shops that really are doing it well and paying bills on time, if those shops, if we were supporting them and highlighting them, um, then that's a good thing too. So um, I don't know if, if my concerns exactly dovetail with yours, but, um, but um, I agree. I mean, they're, they're crucial. I mean, we, everybody's got to get their boots worked on and their skis mounted and we need, we absolutely need good service. Um, but what we don't need is a bunch of like shops with bad attitudes, putting out mediocre work, selling people the shit they don't need or the, just the wrong equipment. Um, so I don't know. I'd like to see, uh, yeah, kind of a redirecting of, um, the foot traffic and dollars.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough, you know? Um, obviously there's part of my business being a small company that depends on direct sale. It's obviously a bigger margin, but you know, people, I can't mount everyone's skis. Um, I need their boot there. And, um, you know, so there's definitely good shops. There's the culture that goes along with it. There's the tuning, there's all the other stuff, you know, I don't want to, although I admittedly buy like so much stuff on Amazon prime, like I still don't want to go to a world where it's all digital um no. you, there's especially skis something that needs to get serviced you yep. need you need uh you need those shops and, and shops are great but you know there's just this and, and all the other people in different businesses i talk to like there there's some overordering going on for bigger brands or something that's happening but you know when and i talk to other ski companies i talk with Scott from Own 3 p almost every day and we mm-hmm. talk about what shops have paid and what haven't cuz we have a lot of the same shops and it's it's a it's a problem, and I'm not trying to drag him into this conversation. Although I'm sure he'd be happy to talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. But like, I, I just don't get how you can be like a year late in paying for your product when you sold all the skis. It's yeah. just it's not fair. It's not how business works. Um, and you know, all my friends and other businesses are like, what? You don't get paid within like 30 days? Like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I I have you know I'm still waiting on a ton of money. I've written off bad debt. I have like a lawsuit with one shop like it's it's stupid like it's it's I want to focus on making skis and not have to be like this like annoying I almost feel like a telemarketer calling every two days hey where's my money where's my money it's like we made a deal let's be professional about this you know so that's my gripe taking over those accountings and doing the CEO stuff I have to do more of that now and that's my gripe with the ski world (laughs)
0: Um, speaking of Scott Andrus, I don't know if you listen to the podcast that, uh, I did with Scott, but did you know that like Owen three P and Scott in particular are like super into bidets?
1: Yeah. He told me about that. Cause we, we talk about where to save money in the factory and like, sometimes we buy materials together and all these things. And he was like, dude, you need to get a bidet. You save so much money on toilet paper. And I was like, Whoa, dude, like toilet paper is not a big expense. What are you guys eating in Portland? Like, I don't know what they're, what food trucks are going to, or I don't know. Maybe, maybe the organic diet is not healthy, but I am not doing the bidet thing. That is weird. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So bidet,
0: you're not in. Moment's not a bidet company.
1: No, no, if, no, So
0: if you want to support a bidet company, O and 3P, if bidets, if that's not an important element of your ski purchasing decision, uh, then Moment.
1: Dude, we're, we're right next to California here. We're essentially in a drought. We need to be careful.
0: Ah, so you're playing the environmental card against O 3P.
1: Exactly. But I know people say, oh, it takes a lot of water to make paper. But you know uh, that water typically you know paper mills are on the east coast in New York where there's a lot of water, so like they're not in a drought, so it's it's where I'm picking my water from you I, know? See. I see we're more environmentally friendly than three p <laughs> so vote for moment is a vote for the environment that's right so <laughs> yeah, that's
0: right I can't wait to yeah, I can't wait to hear the 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 feedback on on this uh on this angle.
1: Um, yeah, but now he gets the mullet over. They're pretty witty up there. He'll, he'll, he'll fire off something better. He will. I know Scott's a good guy.
0: Yeah. Well, dude, I will, um, I'm going to let you get going, but, um, it's good to catch up and it's good to, to hear about the new line. Um, and, um, yeah, we're currently trying to figure out, um, we're going to be doing our Southern hemisphere, uh, review trip again at the end of the month. And, we're currently kind of putting it to toward blister members, um, getting their input on what equipment they want us to take down, and we're going to be opening that up uh, to kind of our broader readership in a day or two here. But we'll we'll try to figure out. Um, uh, I'd like to take uh, a ski, at least one ski down from you guys, and the Bibby Tour has been. It's like, man, we're going to get asked a billion questions. I think about that ski um but like i said people are are asking a lot about this meridian and um so i don't know we'll have to i'm I'm curious to see what the rest of uh the comments are on the site um and see if like if the meridian is way outpacing the bibby tour in terms of what people are saying they want a review of immediately but uh i look forward to checking some of this stuff out and i look forward again this season to getting on the 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 tweaked out Belafonte and and um seeing uh, kind of revisiting that ski so yeah it should be a should be a fun winter
1: yeah yeah for sure well um yeah let me know we'll get you dialed with, dialed with skis and yeah thanks for having me on uh it makes me feel special um <laughs> but no it's cool i love what you guys do with the podcast and um in the site and everything so thank you thanks man
0: that's it for this edition of the blister podcast Thanks to Luke for the conversation, to our strikingly handsome audio engineer, Justin Bob, whose favorite book might be The Snow Leopard by Peter Matheson. Justin can't actually confirm this definitively right now, though, because he's a little hungover and kind of tired today. Anyway, go read The Snow Leopard. Thanks also to Nest Bedding for sponsoring this episode. Be sure to go to nestbedding.com to start sleeping better and to start feeling better every single day. Till next time, head over to blisterreview.com to see what we're up to there. Subscribe to the Blister Podcast on iTunes. And we'll catch you next week when we take the Blister Podcast on the road.